I am so happy that you are listening to Just Breathe. It is my most sincere hope that it empowers you and helps you feel less alone on this journey. If you are looking for more personal and more personalized help, I am now offering coaching services. Text BREATHE to 55444 to learn more. That's B-R-E-A-T-H-E to 55444 to learn more. All right, welcome back to a Silver Lined Relaunch. And wow, my heart is exploding right now because I had the privilege of talking to this woman, this phenom, this this inspirational, like just powerhouse. I had the privilege of talking to her about a month ago and I said, to her, is there any possibility that I could get you on this podcast? And I think that she squeezed me in between all of the different things that she's working on. And I am so grateful to have Dr. Erica Miller with me. She has written several books, one of which we're going to talk about today is Don't Tell Me I Can't Do It kind of a motto of her life. But what I haven't shared is that yes, she has multiple books. Yes, she is a female. Yes, she's done all these amazing things of giving back. Yes, she is a pillar of strength for women out there, but she is also a Holocaust survivor. And for those that have an opportunity to go over to YouTube or go to therelaunchco.com and look at the podcast section, if you could see what I'm looking at right now, you would be blown away to know she is 88 years young because this woman, this woman looks younger than me. I had my daughter Rosie come around and check her out because I'm like, are you kidding me right now? But welcome, welcome, Dr. Miller. You're listening to the Silver Lined Relaunch, and I'm your host, Hillary DeCesar, award-winning entrepreneur and transitional coach. Each week, I'll invite you to tune into inspirational stories, revealing how you too can turn ordinary experiences into the extraordinary. Feeling stuck? I'll share step-by-step strategies to fuel your ability to experience a life where silver linings are both abundant and possible. Thank you so much for being here. And let me put you straight. I will be 88 in November the 10th. So far, I'm only 87. Do you hear me? (laughs) That is so great. That is so fabulous. But okay, so one of the things that I have the privilege to do on this show is to really talk about transitioning to transformations. And when I read your book, when I read your book, Don't Tell Me I Can't Do It, There were so many relaunches in there, but the one that I'd really like to talk about first and foremost is the most significant when you were seven and eight years old. And can you share with us by taking us back to those early years of your life? And then we'll, we'll move forward because you have, there's so many that we could talk about. We could talk about for hours here. So let's start with that one. All right. Then I'm a storyteller and you'll have to keep me in line because I can go on forever. All right. Now, uh, some of you have little children, some of them grandchildren, whatever your stage in life is. 
when you're seven years old and you have a normal life. Uh, I lived in Austria, Romania. We had a compound, the whole family uh, lived together, you know, cousins and all that kind of thing. And suddenly mayhem starts. And I see my father, my mother, I mean, they contorted faces in fear. And, and here I hear dogs barking and shooting and screaming and us running into the attic and hiding and me asking what's going on there. And nobody gave me an answer. Don't ask so many questions. And my mother put her hand over my mouth so that I would not scream or ask questions. I was a precautious kid. So that was the beginning of the hunting of the Jews and the shooting and the screaming. And we are trying to hide. But again, finally, uh, my father decided he could not have the anxiety of every time they were hunting for Jews for us to hide. So we joined the, the, the trail, the, you know, the station, the train station, you know, going to who knows where. So as a seven-year-old kid, uh, me just taking it in and seeing what goes on there. Uh, grabbing and shooting in front of me, grabbing babies from other sense. I mean, I am very detached. And luckily, as a psychologist, it comes in handy because I see the scenes, but I do not feel it. I, I have been traumatized. And I will tell you in a second, just a, a couple of things, how one, it's a trauma happens, never mind the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. So again, we did not know where we were going, pushed us in the cattle cars, and the resilience of a little seven-year-old pushed in the back there, and the screaming and the losses of people, each other, and me starting to sing to myself as the train was going from station to station, opening the cattle trains, pushing in some more people on top of us, and me, and I heard the word, Schmutzige Juden, dirty Jews. I couldn't get it. I was not dirty. What goes on there? So I was singing to myself with a with the train going, dirty Jews, schmutzige Juden, schmutzige Juden. So I was comforting myself. So that resilience is really part of my DNA. We are resilient species. We are still here, but some of us have it more than others. So then following four years in a holding camp. And in trauma, what happens, uh, I don't have memory, four years is a long time, from seven to 11. Uh, in barbed wire, it was a holding camp. They didn't get to us soon enough, Russians liberated us and we came back. And the first time I went to school was fifth grade. Now it was Romania and my mother tongue was German. But I remember in the camp kind of spotlights, it's like looking out this little window. We were 20 people next to bodies, like a small little place, and looking out and seeing in the mornings how they picked up the dead bodies. People died from typhoid and starvation because, again, like I said, and I looked and I thought to myself, so that is the flesh. They look so ugly. I don't want to die ugly. I want to pose. Just before I die, I want to be posing so I'm pretty. Guess I read what? that in the book and I started laughing. <laughs> Guess what? And oh, I must. And again, it was I a horrific, a horrific scene. And you said, I never want to be, I never want that. I never want to be. And, and I, I really believe that that was the beginning of you willing yourself out of the concentration camp and being alive. And again, remembering those things, jumping 
playing with kids, jumping over dead bodies, but they're really interesting and I'm all over the place. A screenplay about my life, a movie is in making, and the title of the movie is Beautiful Death. It is based on how, I mean, I am who I am because of it, in spite of it. Don't tell me because I'm Jewish, I have to die. Don't tell me because of my girl, I cannot climb trees with the boys. Don't tell me I cannot be married, have kids and have a profession. Mm-hmm. So that I am who I am because of it and in spite of it. And a trauma is, is a universal I just had this unusual, so I'm not normal because to me, unless you're dying, pick yourself up and figure things out. And I was there. Unless you're, wait, unless you're dying, pick yourself up and figure it out. And as you're sitting here saying your trauma is not like everyone else's, but you're still, you made a comment in the book, take ownership of here and now. That's really your attitude. It's like, you know, stop being the victim. Stop being the victim in your life. In the moment. And I have many mantras, but one of them that I keep on repeating, and I know that my voice is heard, life takes guts, grit, and gusto. You don't have that in this book. I have it in another book. Uh, Guts means courage. Grit means perseverance. And gusto, gusto, be grateful. Be grateful for the moment. The past is gone. The future, you have to plan for it, might never be. Be and be grateful for the moment. And it, I'm not in La La Land, but my zest of life, my, my cup is more than half full than empty. So people that, and I know there's a reason why I'm in this world, and I don't know about God. I hope you are, because faith is a wonderful thing. Uh, but again, I was told by somebody, you know what, your voice is so relevant that there's a reason you're going to live a long life. And by the way, I plan to live to 123. Why 123? <laughs> because my last book, Chronologically Gifted, Living Healthy to 123, I did research all over the world what it takes to live long and well, not just living long. Because to me, I'm just absolutely amazed that I'm still on this earth and I walk every day three miles. I thought that I whatever. And I'm an example to you, youngins. So life takes courage, grit, and gusto because we have a chance. Somebody's already born that's going to live to 150, but not just living, living well. I so, I love the whole guts, grit, gusto. I mean, and I'm watching you say it and you just, you have that energy behind it. Yeah. And there's no doubt you're going to live to 123. No doubt. And we're going to be friends until that day that you pass on. And then the veil will be very thin between us and you'll still be helping me out. But okay. I want to, I want to talk to you about something. Oh, let me, I'm the elder. Yeah. I'm a hugger. I'm a hugger. Where I'm a live? hugger. <laughs> when are you coming and visit me? Where do you live? I, well, I, I just moved this. I just moved yesterday to Boulder. So I'm in Boulder, Colorado, but you tell me when and where and I'm there. So, but you know what, Dr. Miller, I do want to talk to you about one part in the book that um, I've actually had um, additional dreams about having, I I see you and I see you talking to that, um, the guard in the camp and how he befriended you. And can you share with us that experience and also what it did for you in terms of turning, you know, something that you could have had hate filled in your, in your body into 
we're all we're all kind of one and the same. So can you share more about that experience? Uh, life altering. Um, the brutality of people and the kindness of people. That was a kind act uh, that again, tears came because when he asked me, I didn't listen to my mother. I was absolutely curious little kid and I snuck up to see the big bad wolf as you read it there. And he kind of grabbed me, ah, what, you know, what's your name? Erica, by the way, Erica is Heather. It's a wildflower. And my hair used to be red, purple. Now it's kind of white, it's blondish, okay? So he just looks at me. And suddenly from that monster face of that, that big bad wolf of a German Nazi, uh, softness, and I'm not making up things. I'm, I'm real, I'm authentic. I'm no fake news. Almost like tears I saw softening up his face. And he's saying, I have a little girl at home. Her name is Erica. And like a cow that is branded or a horse, I don't know who they brand these days. He sang me this song and it was imprinted in my little brain or big brain, three and a half pounds. Auf der Heide blümt ein kleines Blümmelein und es heißt Erika on the meadow, this little wildflower and the name is Erika. And in a heartbeat, the monster was back again he pushed me to the floor. This is not the place for a little girl. Go back to your mother. And I just, oh my gosh, she's not going to kill me. And then he threw me a, a candy bar. And uh, the saddest thing I remember that moment too, I could not have mother know that I was, I, I, I did not obey her. So I gobbled up that chocolate in a heartbeat. I did not share it with her. And with her. So when I am asked, when I lecture, uh, all over the place, world, uh, international bestseller. I don't brag, I just share. How do you feel about Germans, Nazis? I said, well, how do I feel about Jews? There's some good ones and some not good ones. Mm -hmm. So again, we cannot blame the, the sons for, this, for the fathers, for the sins of the fathers. So I believe that. So to me, when I went to Germany back in Vienna and all that kind of thing, and people were so apologetic, I just, again, uh, because of that experience with the German Nazi. It was incredible because when I first started reading that part of it, I was worried that what he was going to do to you. Me too. And instead, he touched your heart. He mm -hmm. touched your heart in this, you know, camp that you were, you know, barely surviving with your mom and it was really, it was like a moment in the book of, of there was a, I heartfelt like, oh my gosh, you were given love, even though it was only a very brief amount of time. And then you went back to, you know, watching from that small window, what was happening in the mornings with the bodies being taken. It was really, it was incredible that you as a human being, having seen such horrific uh, devastation to human life that you could sit there and appreciate that there are good amongst all bad. There's just, it's not, it's not black or white, which I really, I appreciated so much as you, as you were sharing that story. And again, that was the beginning of having crushes of a powerful man that had some power like like my you know supervisors or my professors or my whoever had my life in their hands so so to speak so again I didn't act on it I was a good girl but being comforted by his 
moments of kindness, mm. that kind of thing. So my point being is uh, we are all in the process of evolving. And for me to hear that I inspired you, that, wow, I mean, my son says, mother, you're an endless pit. How many times do I tell you how unique you are? My, but we're speaking about, we are in the process of evolving, some of us, not all of us. And I know for myself, I'm like a laboratory. I watch myself again. How long can I live well? What are the changes? My bladder is not as good as it used to be. Big deal. <laughs> my skin, my skin is a little bit thin. A big deal. I think you look pretty darn amazing. <laughs> but again, it's like the a future yet to be. Life is a mystery. And I embrace it all. Yeah. And again, we're speaking about, you know, uh, you know, we never know. We need to control life choices we make, but then we need to surrender to destiny. Mm -hmm. So I am very weird, and I'll share with you whether you like to hear it or not. It's not in my book. I have a casket already in my home, in the bottom of my bed, a beautiful piece of wood I put in studs, and I had an artist painting me as an angel looking up, I don't know where, and I'm going to have a celebration when the epidemic is almost finished, for all the young, and, hey, oh my gosh, we have to do, do my mother, don't bet. I, I said, it's not if, it's when. By meaning of life is death. Therefore, I am all finished. Everything is in order. My kids, my grandkids, whatever. There's going to be a celebration ahead of time so I can hear what they have to say about me, not after that. Maybe after that I can watch it too. So again, I practice what I preach. And I'm just grateful that I'm talking to you. Oh, I got to tell you, this is, this is, you're, you're preaching to the choir right now. Not that I have a casket underneath my bed with an angel on it, but when my dad turned 80 and he is just about to turn 87 next week, he, um, he, he said, well, I'd like to get some friends together and I would like to create, uh, almost like what my wake would be. And I want people to talk about me, but talk about me while I'm still here. So I threw him a party and I had not said what the attire was. And he showed up in a tuxedo and he celebrated and he called people out and said, Hey, stand up and say something nice about me. I mean, it was so fabulous. So I, I love what you're doing, but there was something that you also said in the book and you said, trust but always verify. Can you share a little bit about your philosophy around trust, but always verify? I have issues with trust with good reason. Uh, uh, safety to me is really important. Uh, life experiences taught me you'll never know. Uh, one of my researchers was in graduate school, uh, the face of sociopathy somebody that looks normal, that everything, whatever, and they're the biggest criminal, they have you there and they will take advantage of you. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I don't look for trouble, I'm open, but unless I know you, and I know even so that, you know, like Madoff and all those crooks, whatever, nice grandfathers, like the, the mafia or whatever. So it's like, because I have issues with trust and safety, um, I am always watching you. Mm. not to find flaws with you because mm. again i am in a heart you know and our part of dna is fight or flight 
okay? But again, we don't live in the jungle and they, our ancestors, the, the tribes are not going to take us over or bear is not going to. So we overreact sometimes, but I will be cautiously because we used to, I lived in Israel after the war and it impacted my life like crazy because there I was the majority. Was, I was in the Israeli Air Force. I was absolutely, I mean, all those kind of things. So it is like I ask you, um, how many women were in the Israeli Air Force when you I were can there? tell you I had a bunch of girlfriends. I was the only one because I felt I still do. We women, we want equality. We should have it. I have it. But again, we cannot have it both ways. So I feel very strong the country needs me. And therefore, I will go. And, and my it's, you did not go whether you like your religious girls. Or you got married. And all my girlfriends, there were four or five, they got married. And I just, I don't need a man. Are you kidding me? Whatever. And, and, and again, I went to high school at night before when I got the 15, three years at night. I had two jobs during the day. So when my daughter used to complain, poor baby, I was a hard mother for her. Hey, pick yourself up and do it. It's raining, walk to school. You're not made out of sugar. Huh? So yeah, um, not many. And I have very strong uh, thoughts. Uh, I, I like, I, I'm a pr proponent for men. Uh, they cannot fake it. Big girls can, huh? even in bed, they have to perform. So again, and we want it both ways and it's not fair. I'm very much, I'm the son my father never had. So another, another, you, you, I have to make sure we touch on this is you decided that when you were a young mother to go back or to go and get your PhD. And something happened when you were in school. Can you talk about that situation that caused you to have to really fight for yourself? Okay. Um, my husband, he was a Jewish boy from Independence, Missouri. He never knew what hit him. Because again, I was an old maid of 26 when we got married and all that kind of thing. And he thought I would be like his mother, you know, extension of his father and all that kind of thing. So I, because of that contorted face of one woman that laid next to three, whatever, she got lost from everybody else. Her face never and her wailing. At least I was close to my mother. She hold on to me, my father and my sister. So I always knew in some way that I'm going to be a healer. I have to. I have to heal. I wanted to touch her. My mother wouldn't let me. So in Israel, after the army, after the Air Force, um, I just thought, what do I do next? I wanted to become a doctor. Uh, but the only medical school was in Jerusalem. There's no way we had the funds or nothing. So it was in back of my mind. So when I was married and two children, I felt safe. My son, John, went to first grade. I announced to the family, I'm going to go back to school. <laughs> nobody wanted me to I mean what a woman did with two kids whatever so again the end of the thing was eight years later I had my PhD in psychology against great odds uh, to, uh, and again I was all alone my kids would have loved to if, if Jerry would have said either you stay home and be the mother of my wife that we expected to or you go to a school graduate school he said he thought he could be more president of the united states than me getting a phd with my language and all that kind of thing i would have left the coup because you couldn't stop me i felt safe safety huh so uh the incident in school was when i was uh 
in graduate school is the third year at CSPP, California School of, of Psychology. I entered at legal psychiatry at UCLA and the doctor Sharma, some name, I'm not going to call his name. He was the legal psychiatry supervisor. He was originally from Cuba. He could not stand my accent. Mm -hmm. So uh, the word was that every year we had to be, be interviewed. At that time, it was the handful for gay people in, in the bath. Are they pedophiles and all that kind of thing? So we always presented in front every Friday for him. So whenever I presented a case, he kept, I don't understand you. Why do you hold on to your accent? You know, but you should be home in your home with your husband and kids. What are you doing? Nobody's ever going to understand you. I freaked. I went to UCLA to speech pathologist. He says he doesn't understand me. And they said, there's nothing the matter with your, you know, he obviously, you know, you remind him of his mother, of his, who knows what. So, um, he gave me not sufficient. He wanted to literally to expel me because at, at that school, if you had, uh, you know, if you did not get, uh, you know, an approval or NSF or whatever, then you are out of the program. And only two of these, you could only have two of these types of, you know, right. I had one before from an English, from a psychology teacher, because I had the opinions and she wanted me to Rogers, theory of Rogers, whatever. I gave my opinion that I didn't think that that is right or something like that. So she also gave me an NSF because I, I disagreed with her. Mm -hmm. I had a voice. So uh, I have a voice like you see, because I didn't have a voice when I was little. So uh, yeah, so I was in danger. And I thought all the sacrifices that we made as a family, and I'm almost there. And the, the supervisor, the doctor, psychiatrist. We're so close. And then this guy is like, mm, I don't like your voice. Can't understand okay. you. And the one before. And in the book, you said he was a Nazi hater. You're like, I can't believe this is what it's going to come was my. He was my Nazi. And guess what? I, I obviously needed that experience. I took a lawyer. I went, I went to school. I almost sued because the psychiatrist before the semester, everybody saw that I'm so, you know, I'm so insightful and I'm so good. And he's the one out of the box. It was a personal thing with him. So again, the school was scared that I'm going to sue them and they're going to lose. So I was allowed to continue and to finish. And I was avoided in the hallways because if it can happen to me, it can happen to any other student. Mm. And my point being is all our experiences that happen to us, adversities, if we stick, if we kind of, you know, you don't always get your way, but having that fearlessness, grit, don't tell me because I'm Jewish, I have to die. Don't tell me whatever. So again, it was a celebration against great odds. And I have picture of me with the head, with my two kids, my mother, my father, they were here too. What a celebration. And Jerry, he was always very proud of me to the end of his life. He died nine years ago, darn it. Uh, because again, he was very proud of me. He respected me. Uh, he was a strong man. They thought that he's weak because he let me. Your husband let you go to school? And we had, you know, we, we were very, I felt uh, we are partners. I worked. I made money. We paid half-half. We traveled. You know, I, you know, he paid for that. I paid for that because, again, with being equal, there are obligations that some of us women still society and traditions are very strong. We get away with it. Open the door, close the door and all that kind of thing. So, Well, you know, what resonated with me is that I grew up with a mother who went to her orthopedic 
surgeon father and said, when she was 19 years old, I want to be a doctor. And he looked at her and said, Judy, there's no way you can take a spot that a man should be taking. I won't approve it. You can get married. And so what did she do? On her 21st birthday, she got married and never pursued the medical career. So when I read this about you, I thought, darn right. You know, and my mom passed about a year and a half ago. And I thought, God, she would love you. But anyway, okay. So as we, as we kind of wrap this up, which is so sad, I do want to ask you as one of my questions that I always like to do rapid fire at the end of these things. Do you feel like you are a cat with nine lives? Because as I read this book, I'm like, do you ever feel like, you know, you, you, you've had nine, 10 lives already? Uh, interesting question. Uh, I'm intrigued with the paranormal. There is more than meets the eye. And I mm. hope for my years, I was predicted, never mind, you're going to go to, you know, to a trip or something. I was predicted certain things. And I was told in New Orleans, are you there? Yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah, you lost it for a second. Uh, I went in New Orleans. Uh, he was a, uh, a tarot card reader. And uh, I was there with my husband. I went in there just because I'm in now I'm intrigued. Uh, so he said, oh, my gosh, I picked a card, this urn, this woman, you know, with the urn or whatever. And it's, oh, my gosh, this is your last life. It's your ninth life. There's so much wisdom that people are feeding off, feeding off of your wisdom and tears. I was in my 30s. I was, you know, in the first 40s. I mean, it was when I was really young, I never thought I would reach 40, I would reach 50, all that. So when he said that I'm going to have such a long life, tears automatically were gushing. Just like I was telling you, trauma. Mm-hmm. I used to, when I drive on the freeway, when the ambulance or noise, whatever, you know what? Here, I did not feel them, but then the noise of ambulances in the war, or when my son was in the band in high school, in the drums, when I heard drums, mm. tears just automatic. That is post-trauma and what have you. So yeah, uh, this is my ninth slide, and you know what? It's true. I just know things. I'm not psychic. I don't predict, but based on human behavior. So there's a reason. I don't know why I'm here. I don't care. Maybe there's hereafter and I would watch myself, whatever, but I'll miss myself. I'm not dead yet. And I miss myself already. So to me, having an impact, having you smile because I'm animated. Look at me. I'm just like one of those, you know, little dolls in the the car. (laughs) Just lucky, you know, with like Mick Jagger, I like concert. Mick Jagger, is, I'm high on life and I'm not on drugs. I'm allergic to anything for it. I don't take anything, allergic to this and that. So uh, uh, being in the moment with you, I am energized because we we are similar and we are different, but your chapter, I have one chapter left. I have about 33, 34 more years left, but look at how many chapters you have. So by relocating, because life is an adventure and you're the captain of your boat of life. And you kind of- One of my favorite quotes I wrote down. I said the same, captain of your life. And you know what's amazing? I went to a psychic, Sylvia Brown, the very famous one about 10 years ago. And she said to me, you will live a long life and this is your last life. <laughs> what month? 
I'm born in, in I'm born in, in November. I'm a Scorpio and don't mess with me. But I'm not <laughs> clingy. I'm not jealous. I'm all the good part of Scorpio. Uh, what what month are you born? I'm I'm a good old Leo in August. Hey, you know what? We are speaking about. We don't know. We more don't know, but it doesn't matter. There's more than meets the eye. And I'm not Einstein. Look at the universe. The seeds of life, the same molecule DNA like us, rocks, the whole universe. They're all interconnected. And it's like, we will never know. Is there a God? If I would be, have Jesus, I could look to Jesus, whatever. But then I found out Jesus was my cousin. I knew him before you knew him. <laughs> if you are, unless maybe you're. So my point being, life is an amazing journey and it's right. not over till it's over. It's not over till it's over. So one of our favorite listener questions is, what is your favorite beauty product by name? Okay, you know, but I've tried a number of them because I have a long life and I like to look good. My skin is pretty good, huh? Skin is but, amazing, amazing. I actually want to know your whole skincare routine, but. In private, okay, I might share, okay. But the one that is really the latest one that I'm really into now, it's kind of like I have to look because words, I cannot put, uh, hang my tree on words and I have to look, you know, it's Charlotte uh, Tilbury, uh, the Wonder Glow. Because Ooh, I like so good, so good. Glow, you know, uh, so because I like, like I said, it's the inside and outside. But Honestly, you glow from the inside. I mean, you're, you're lighting up the screen right now. It's, it's truly incredible. <laughs> So one last question is, what does a powerhouse of possibility mean to you? Um, there is, again, uh, you have to be realistic as far as you're not going to grow any wings that you're going to fly. Although, um, is, whatever is named from Amazon, I don't know about those millions that you have to be on the, going to the Mars or something. But uh, if you have, nothing is really impossible uh, that is attainable as human being. So before you can make anything happen, you have to have a vision. And we are, people set their own limitations. I'm just all this and that. So I'm an example and I don't brag, I just share. I have visions and I make things happen, like the movie coming up. I've been working, right? I have the final fit. Um, you know, but I went to New Zealand with my granddaughter before the COVID. And she says, Bobby, Bobby, old lady, I'm going to, you know, skydive, jump out of a plane. So I say, if you can do it, I can do it. I will do it too. She says, Bobby, what if you die? Oh, my gosh. Says, it's not going to be your fault. And what a way to exit the world. So my point being is before you, in order for you to live long and well, you have to have vision, new things, gardening, this and that. A retirement is death. If you close one door, you have to open another. But before you can have can make things happen, you have to have a vision. And then what will it take in order to get there? And there's no failure. I lived, I grew up in Israel for nine years. They are not perfect, but don't tell me I cannot do it and be direct and do go for it. And on things that you know, one door closes, the other opens up. So it's like, embrace it all so there is you said and you also said that you climbed mount everest oh yeah uh, in 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 when i was 85 two years ago <laughs> uh, everyone out there that's like oh, i'm getting too old for that i mean you know hear that 85 years old and she's somebody but, going to the top 
But the two years before, I was in the Inca Trail in Machu Picchu by myself with, with a group. And I, it's 11,000 feet. I climbed up. That was the first on the top. I did not know. I did not even have for altitude. So I said, again, if I cannot do it, I won't do it. So I almost pushed the limits. So because I could do 11,000 feet, why can't I do 17,000 feet? The same thing with ballooning, you know, and jumping out and all that kind of thing. And I plan to go to Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa when things are settled. And I keep on training myself. It's lower. It's only about nine or 10,000 feet. But it's like, I want, I, I am an example, but I don't, I don't, you know, I don't suggest people to jump out of a plane or something, but to me, I'm so, uh, I'm so, my life is so again in the moment and my, 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 my future. Again, I see the end of it. I see me being in the casket, beautiful. I even have the white dress with white boots. I'm a boot girl and, you know, with, with everything on it. So, uh, you know what? Uh, it's it's there's nothing when you set your mind to it. It's never too late, and I get it a lot, and I'm sick of it. And I always make a case. Yeah, I'm too old. I said all those excuses. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe. And when I lectured, not very often seniors because I'm an example that they feel too bad that they couldn't be like me. And I don't like that. I like youngins like you. So, well, I don't run anymore because I cannot run as fast as long as it. Hey, so run you know, slower, but still run. Don't be hostage to your own fears. So my voice matters and I'm out there, there in the universe. And again, and tomorrow a truck could kill me, but I escaped trucks, hit me and I walked away unscarred. So somebody up there wants me to be here till the longest possible. So I'm going to be in the book of Guinness. (laughs) (laughs) Guts, grit, gusto. Dr. Miller, this has been a ride. Thank you so much for being on our show. You are, you are truly what defines a powerhouse of possibility. Thank you again for being on the show. And it was mutual. I loved engaging you. And you're going to send it to my publicist, our thing, so we can post it. Absolutely. It will be there. We will go for it. And we will do lots of amazing things with it. You're terrific. You really are. Hey, I got to ask you, so what is your next speaking engagement that you're doing? Because I, I I have to meet you. I have to be there. I have to see you. You're just, you're, you're too great. Okay, here we go. Uh, you will check with Jerry and uh, Nyland, my publicist, and I have, because again, I know, you know, I can do everything, but they need the part of a team, like your, your darling daughter. She's adorable too. Aww. So, uh, because again, it's just coming out. I know I already have. I just need to see you. And I, my goal right now is between now and the next June, 2022, we will actually meet in person. You know, but again, when things are normal, whatever, that will never be the same normal, but whatever. Do you plan to have you know, to, to be, you know, the audience that you interact with them that I can hear. So we're doing, we're going to do a conference and I will definitely, I will continue to ask you anytime, anywhere. (laughs) I know because you're fabulous. No, no, because I know it's planned already. I think already in this October, I have like a fire chat, you know, I think it is in, in, yeah, I don't know where, 
So again, I'll, I'll follow. I'll make sure to follow you because right be- because like today at five o'clock I have another interview, oh. and then. So, but again, I did not want to show you, you have to be flexible. I like face-to-face. So anybody wants to be there in here, they come and meet me in my office, in my home. But in Zoom, or like we're doing, I mean, is the times, it was really good. At least we, we get to know each other. So it's like sometimes. Where, is, have, where are you right now? I'm in Hidden Hills uh, in California on the way to Santa Barbara, Calabasas. Yep. And my claim to fame, the end of my, it's a gated community. The Kardashians live at the end of the street. It's three <laughs> miles going there and back. So I, every day I go and say bah, hello and goodbye. So I, I'm just, I just like to have fun. I entertain myself. So okay. yeah, so it's like, I'm very, very lucky. I have a home in Austin, Texas. I'm leaving on Sunday for a week. I run a business there. We did play Monopoly in a real estate. So I, I have a team. I have employee. I have a payroll. Here comes the little big boss. So I have a place on the Lake Austin. I have a place here. I love it here. I love it there. So I'm very, very grateful and lucky that I come from. So appreciation of this gift of life that keeps on giving. Do you hear me? I hear you. I hear you and what an inspiration to me. So big hugs to you. And I look forward to talking again very soon. Okay. Keep in touch. You take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Silver Lined Relaunch. If I said something today that resonated with you, will you please head over to iTunes right now and leave us a five-star review? and share this episode with others and help them find the silver linings as well. And don't forget, you can have immediate access to the show notes, any giveaways, and the links to those amazing beauty products at therelaunchco.com backslash podcast. Until next time, there's always a silver lining. And now is the time to hit the reset button to relaunch those transitions into transformations.